Welcome back to Division One Rejects. I'm your host, Kobe Manzos, episode 131. September 25th, the night we're recording this, we've got some great guests for you today. We just announced our Player of the Week selections earlier today. A lot of great stuff going on. Week 4 game recaps coming up for you. This week, the week of the upsets. You saw it. Excuse me. We've got two of those guys joining us tonight. Jordan Davis from Kutztown. They upset Shepard, the reigning regional champion. That was a huge game. Kutztown dominated. And then we got Brendan Gill from Endicott. They upset number five, Harden Simmons, on the D3 side of things. The first nationally ranked opponent victory for the Gulls. Big time. But, man, can the burps start this episode. But the guest I'm probably most excited about, admittedly, Chris McCullough, the head coach from Texas Permian Basin, UTPB. A little bit of a mouthful there. He joins me here shortly. That is a conversation I very much enjoy. So stick around for that one. If you want to go right to any of those guest conversations you're watching on YouTube, look at the bottom there, those chapters, the timeline, the time codes, whatever I, I call them, timestamps. Use that, drag it forward, any part of the conversation you want to listen to. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the times are in the description. So you can fast forward to any part of the day you want to listen to, but we've got a lot of great stuff. So I do recommend, I do recommend you stick around. Otherwise, we will be going over our player of the week selections. We had some big ones. Had some tough decisions this week. I think a little bit tougher than last week in some ways. And then in some ways, they're so easy. Like, there'd be a couple that they're just dead, like, dead eye. Like, you know, like, this dude's already got it. And then all of a sudden, you keep looking and you keep digging just because you want to do your due diligence. Excuse me. English is hard. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy who had a freaking amazing performance. And then this guy. And this guy. All of a sudden, the decisions become hard. But either way. A lot of great coverage today. As always, you can watch this episode on YouTube. Don't forget about those timestamps. You can listen pretty much anywhere else. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Do not forget to subscribe on the YouTube. Please subscribe. We can do some live shows, get to 1,000 subs. Come on. It'd be electric. It'd be so electric. But before we get to live shows, before we get to 1,000 subs, let's go to the first conversation of the day with Coach McCullough. <laughs> Joining the show tonight, this man slayed a herd of Buffaloes in overtime on Saturday. He's on the AFCA 35, under 35 list, and he once said that he wanted to be the next Derek Jeter. <laughs> Coach Chris McCullough. Yeah. What's going Appreciate on? you having me, man. Yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> the follow-up was if we've made any progress on getting the call up to the big leagues, but I'll take that as a no. Absolutely not. I haven't touched a baseball in probably 10 years. That's all right, man. You got a football team to coach, and you're doing you're doing a damn good job at it. But um, you know, it might have felt pretty close to the big leagues on Saturday. You had kind of mentioned it before we started recording the to get a quality win over a team like that in West Texas A and M, a team that has all the program tradition and history um, compared to the stark contrast of your squad. Like you said, is only seven years old. That had to feel pretty special, man. Absolutely, I have a lot of respect for WT and Josh Lynn, the head coach there. Obviously, he's been around the block and made the playoffs and he's one of the best known coaches out in D2 football. So getting to play at home and having the biggest crowd in seven years since the first year we had football here, um, the excitement in the Permian Basin is huge, but to go out there and be the program like that's pretty special. That's sweet, man. Biggest crowd in seven years. I love it. Yes. Um, yes. Not the only thing you guys have going for you. Those facilities over there. Ridiculous. Are you yes. a frequent visitor in that barbershop you got in the football uh, building over there? Uh, I haven't got a haircut since the first game, so I'm kind of a uh, once the season starts, I don't cut my hair or trim my beard until after the season's over. I'm gonna say that's a that's a like almost a, what do you call it a ritual type deal? Yeah, we're just one of those uh, superstition. Guess, that's the word. Superstition. Yeah, superstition there it is. Yes. Yeah, I don't know what ritual I'm talking about my ass, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but 
Talk about background a little bit for you. You brought in in this past December, for those of you who, you know, who don't know yet, as the head coach, 28 years old. We'll talk about the Falcons soon, but 27. Don't give me another year yet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay. There you go. My apologies. My apologies. But um, before this, you have the head job at East Central, and you guys lose your first two games, you know, as being the head guy. You go on to win nine of your next 10. You beat Kingsville in that bowl game. That had to just feel pretty incredible, especially from where you started at a program like that that hadn't experienced a ton of success maybe out of that conference, man. Talk about that yeah. before you made your way over to UTPV. Yeah, I was there for five years, and, you know, when we took over, I think they won two or three games in two years. Yeah. So we went three and eight, three and eight. COVID hit, uh, went two and oh, beat Texas or uh, Charleston State at their place when they were a top 25 FCS team, and that's what really got the ball rolling. Then we go seven and four. Um, back last March, our head coach left. I took over the interim title and, like you said, went 0-2. So that's the lowest I've been in my career. It's not even close. Um, obviously, hearing people say, you know, after this season, you're probably going to be looking for another job. Yep. They're going to bring in somebody else. And then uh, the resiliency of that team finding a way to win the next six, um, compete for a really conference title against Washita, um, and be one minute shy of winning that game. And then finishing the season strong, beating Texas a and in Kingsville in a bowl game, um, you know, we were at the, the top of, I guess, emotionally that we had felt in years right there. So um, it was hard to leave that place because we had built it up from basically nothing to being a 9-3 and three and contending for a conference title for probably sure. this year. Um, but when UTPB came calling, it's hard to turn down, like you said earlier, these facilities, but really the – this is football heaven. Everybody talks about West Texas football. Friday Night Lights was obviously filmed at Ratliff Stadium where we're playing at this week, our first game at Ratliff. Um, so it, when you add all that factors in and then the resources out here, obviously oil money and the big businesses out here that just want to support football, it's an opportunity you can't turn down. Yeah, that's big, man. And, you know, just touch on that one last time, like getting your first head coaching job at that age and having that – knowing that feeling of, yes, this athletic department and this university in its entirety, like, trusts and believes in you, whether it's in a room or not, like, remove the tag. Like, you are still, for all intents and purposes, in charge of this football program, this team, these guys, the way that they act on and off the football field. Like, that had to be such a, yes, maybe a weight, but also just a security feeling. Like, they really believe me to be the guy to do this. Maybe not when you're 0-2, but <laughs> at the end of the year, maybe a little bit more confident in you over there. That had to be a pretty sweet feeling. Oh, absolutely. And I'll say this, it's that moment being 0-2 and then finding a way to finish the season the way we did and all the adversity we faced. No time in my career from now on will I feel the pressure I felt then. Yeah. So now I'm golden. Like, I know at one point in the next probably 50 years I'm going to get fired, and that's fine because I felt the pressure that I felt then 0-2 as an interim coach and uh, fighting for your job every single week. But the end of the season results where – you know, everybody wants you to stay at East Central because obviously you had the best year in 30 years, but then having other programs call you um, to possibly run their program at the age of 27. You know, I, a lot of people say something about your age, the moment they meet you or the moment they hear that you're only 27 and you're the head football coach. But for me, just like me, by the way, it's one of the first things <laughs> I said. So we'll just throw that in. There. Yeah. yeah, but but for our program, those guys just see it as a guy who relates to them. Oh, yeah. yeah, it takes a minute to gain trust, but it doesn't matter if it's a six-year-old taking over a program or a 27-year-old. There's going to be a little time 
of three to six months where you got to build trust and the camaraderie and the family and the brotherhood, no matter what your age is. But once they figure out the real genuine you, all right, then it just rolls no matter your age. I haven't heard that I'm 27 years old since probably the second month I was here Good. because they don't see me as that. They just see me as the head football coach. Hell yeah. That's what you want, man. And you've had time to do that. Like you said, you've come in in December and you've had this time to be with the guys through the spring, through the summer, and time to build up that rapport with your guys. Um, that's shown, right? The way that you guys have come out and shown out these last couple of weeks. We can talk more about your squad right now. Saturday in particular, the offense for you guys. Uh, the term explosive is used way too far often for teams all over the place. That's what you guys are, I think. And, you know, throw me right into the category. But um, talk about... What enabled you guys, I guess, this weekend in particular, but also just this season, man? Um, you had mentioned earlier your quarterback being able to get out there and extend plays, but what parts of that offense really enable you guys to be in, on top of these games? Yeah, so I think four or five starters I've had before at East Central um, in this offense right now. So they kind of know our lingo, right? It's been okay. a while, obviously, the quarterback. Uh, that was his 40th or 41st start um, the other night. So he's had a lot of football, right? Oh, yeah. um, but the biggest thing is – the weapons around him that we now have at receiver. Jeremiah Cooley is probably one of the best receivers in D2 football right now. He has a touchdown a game. I think he has five or six. Um, and he played that game probably 40 or 30% on his uh, hammy. So to, for him to go have over 100 yards and a touchdown and probably should have had two or three touchdowns, and then Deion Cook on the other side, and then our slots are all um, great pass catchers. But our fastest kid is 6'5", 220 and runs runs a 4-3. So we have weapons around Kenny now that I've never had before in the past in my previous institution. So that's where the explosiveness comes from. You know, we played uh, t Texas College week one, and we all know that that kind of made headlines winning 96 to nothing. Yeah. Um, the next week, go and play Western Colorado, who is in the top 15, top 20 right now, and they're rolling. I mean, they're going to face School of Mines in a couple weeks probably for the RMAT championship. They're a great football team, great coach, and we just started out slow, and we just ran out of time. I mean, we had the ball on the eight-yard line with three seconds to go to go tie it, and we just ran out of time. Um, and then Southwest Baptist, a D2 program, nobody thought we'd score, you know, 80 or 90 points again, and we'd go put up 86 um, with those explosive receivers that we had. But we're also scoring touchdowns on defense. Our defense, those two games, had two, two touchdowns each game, Texas oh, yeah. College oh, and Southwest yeah. Baptist. And then this past week, we just started out slow again, just like Western Colorado. The difference was in that third and fourth quarter, our offense lit it up, and we wound up scoring 41 points to win the game in overtime. That's special stuff, dude. That's special stuff. You had said 40-some starts for that quarterback? Yes. I believe it was 40th or 41st start. That's right big there. time. That's big time. We had a dude here, um, you know, with COVID year, this kid actually had went and gone and played hockey like juniors before his college football days. I don't even know how many times I brought my man Yale on the pod, but he was a wide receiver here. He was about to be 27 playing in his last year of college ball up here. So um, well, I know he didn't how, get a head coaching job right just walking down the sideline. I hurt just walking down the sideline, so I couldn't imagine playing right now at 27. <laughs> he'd, be in the, he'd be in the locker room after games looking like, you know, LeBron's got like the ice on the knees like that. Just every joint, every single joint. <laughs> Man, well, that's how our quarterback looks right now every single day, <laughs> just from all the hits he's taken over the years. You tough SOB, man. I love it. And uh, you talk about just the program as a whole, young in the grand scheme of things. You've already mentioned it. Um, hadn't had a season with over five wins. Here you are, three and one. 
the one game, like you said, ran out of time. And it was one of those that really could have gone either way against what you said is a very quality opponent. Not that I'm looking towards the end of the year yet. You're not allowed to. I'm allowed to because I'm a media yeah. pundit, idiot, and I get to look at whatever I want. But what do you attribute? You know, you haven't done it yet, but starting to lay those first steps of the foundation and flip this program around and um, get it going in the right direction where you can start to win some of those games like a Western Colorado against some quality opponents in the D2 level. Yeah, I think it's three things. It's first, the guys I inherited here. The last staff did a really good job with the leadership of the guys, the, the core group of guys. You know, Hayden Kelly, our linebacker, um, he was the first person to text me when I took the job, and he's been our team captain um, since day one I got here. That's the same with Matt Zubiotti. Um, there was a bunch of quality players already here, all right? There's that group, and then there's a the group of transfers I brought in. We had the number one transfer class in the country for Division II. Saw that. And – you have to mold those. It's not easy, right? Because you have probably 60 returners. You have 30 transfers and 30 high school kids all mingling into one team. So finding a way to bond everybody together and to grow that brotherhood and family is essential. But the third thing is having a staff and then having a quarterback like Kenny Hernser that knows the system, knows the culture. The coaching staff that came with me from East Central, the few coaches that came with me knew – what we needed to put in place to have the same results we had there. Same with the quarterback. And the quarterback was really the guy in the locker room that got everybody together. So I personally think it takes about nine months to a year and a half to really get your culture and a program rolling in the right direction. And it only took us about six or seven months before I felt like, okay, this team can be special. Um, And you still don't know until you play that first game. And then we play Texas College. And after that, you still have this feeling of, I don't know what we are. And then we go play Western Colorado. We play a terrible first half, and we fight and claw our way back. Um, a team that is only in their first year normally doesn't claw back into a game like that. Same with the West Texas game. You don't find a way to win that game in your first year as a program or as a new head coach. But our locker room and our leaders never had any doubt. So our culture is like a fourth or fifth year culture where it's only year one. So it's pretty special here. That's big time. Yeah. And mentioned the win in the bowl game over Kingsville uh, back before you were with the Falcons. Now, next week, man, you got another squad that's feeling really good about themselves coming into town. Kingsville been putting squads on notice, just snuck into the top 25. I think they're around like that 20 mark right now. They got a defense that's playing pretty lights out ball. We've had Coach Bish, their DC, on the show before. Um, talk about another program with a ton of history, tradition. You know what you're getting yourself into Saturday. Tell us about it, man. Yeah, I think. Uh, when you think about rivalries, right, there's two type of rivals. There's the manufactured rival where it's kind of a location or administration wants you to – that's your rival. Let's make it like that. Like Arkansas, for example. We all know Arkansas and LSU are the true rivals. Well, then they make the battle line rivalry with Missouri. Is that really a rivalry? No, it's makeshift, right? Well, then that's kind of our West Texas game, right? You felt the rivalry, but it wasn't the true rivalry. The true rivalry is Texas a and Kingsville. Over the last few years, just close games, uh, heat of the moment battles, right? And then I'd take the job. I was the last coach to beat Texas A&M and Kingsville in that bowl game, right? So I quietly circled this on the calendar when I took the job, and I'm sure those that staff over there and those players want a little bit of revenge as well. So I'm sure they had it circled um, for the game this Saturday as well. Um, I have a lot of respect for that staff heck of a job what they've done to get Kingsville back on the map after so many years of not being the story tradition program that they've been 
I mean, they do have the most Hall of Famers all time in D2 football. Mm-hmm. So they have that rich tradition, but they got it back now. Um, when you look at the film, they're the exact same team we played a year ago in the bowl game. I mean, it's the same players. Amos Coleman, probably the best player in the country in the, the secondary. Um, he's dangerous when he gets the ball in his hands, so we can't throw picks and we can't kick it to him. Um, but they are so well coached. But what I like about it is this is going to be a physical freaking game. I mean, in the trenches, it is going to be a battle every single play. Um, and our guys are welcoming it with open arms. We can't wait to play on Saturday. Hell yeah. You better deliver one of those pregame, man. Boys <laughs> Trust going. me. Yeah. I've thought about this pregame ever since that win, uh, 41-40 the other night. Yeah. As soon as we stepped off that field, all I could think about was Kingsville. That's good stuff, man. Well, that's all I got for you. Good luck surviving that uh, that cold front down there. You said it was, what, 90-something? Uh, it's only going to be 91 tomorrow. That's a great day. Yeah, only 91. That's that's just not going to cut it for me, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, Coach, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming in, and, uh, you know, thanks for chatting, man. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. Have a good one. You too. Appreciate Coach coming on. We are going to stay on the D2 side of things, talk about some games from this past week. I'm going to try and go quickly through these guys, but also give them the love they deserve. The first one we talked about a little bit in the preview episode last week, Mars Hill and Barton. Mars Hill comes out of this one, 16-14. They score in the first quarter, right? So 7-0. They didn't score a touchdown after that. It was three field goals. Barton scores both theirs in the first half, and then Mars Hill pitches a shutout in the second half. It's kind of the tail of this game. We knew it was potentially going to be a low scorer, and also we knew going into this thing, if Mars Hill could shut down Jordan Terrell, they'd win this game. Guess what they did? 18 carries, 47 yards. His longest run of the day was a six-yard run. With a back like him, who's as talented and as physical and just gifted as he is, you know that, you know, if you're Barton, you keep giving this dude the rock, eventually he is going to bust one. He is going to make a big play and, you know, break out a big run. It didn't happen. And that's a credit to this Mars Hill defense, their secondary in general, playing up on the ball, getting up there, knowing their keys. They did a really good job in shutting him down. And the rushing attack, I mean, as a whole, Right, They only had a couple kind of big plays on the ground, if you're Barton. Did make some plays through the air. Nothing too crazy. Mars Hill able to force a couple turnovers, too. Excuse me. And, you know, time of possession was relatively even. Um, otherwise, though, you know, it's just a quality, quality victory for them. They weren't forced to punt very often. They were able to stay pretty on rhythm offensively. They didn't get a whole lot done. Through the air, but I do believe it was uh, it was efficient enough for them. They didn't need to be, you know, treacherous through the air. J.R. Martin finishes ten for twenty one, hundred and sixty, and a tud also with an interception. So maybe not ideal numbers, but again, you win a football game. There's things to fix. Pretty good showing for Mars Hill. Let's move on though. Number seventeen, Indianapolis at Saginaw Valley, the second Gleak opponent for the Greyhounds. They did just fine, thirty five to ten over the Cardinals at their place and we talked about it last year Indy plays Saginaw they're number eight in the country Saginaw's unranked Saginaw whooped their ass Indy you have to believe they circled this one on the year uh, for this year's schedule you just have to believe it they came out dominated and dominated early it was 28 to 3 at halftime Indy up their defense playing very well they're one of their defenders made our division two defensive player of the week award that being Justin Thomas dude Eight tackles, seven of them solos. He had three sacks, two pass breaks up, and a, a two pass breakups, excuse me, in a QB hurry. Talk about a career day for the kid. That's pretty awesome. 
had a couple other guys. Uh, Stan Flowers and Michael Brown also had 11 tackles each. Like, he wasn't even the leading tackler on the squad, and he was just back there making plays. Love to see that from them. The Greyhounds, I mean, they're legit. This is a team that I think has been a little inconsistent, a lot of question marks because of their strength of schedule in conference. They did a better job of scheduling maybe some tougher out-of-conference out of opponents. Um, but you look at that conference, it's Indy, it's Truman, and then it's everyone else, right? And that's, to me, that's kind of how I look at it. No disrespect to other squads. There are some other decent teams in that conference. But when you talk about who's going to win that conference at the end of the year, eight or nine times out of ten, it's going to be Indy or it's going to be Truman. That's just how I how I feel about it. So now we've seen what they've done out of conference. Let's, for them, they have to go through, finish out this conference play strong. And they haven't even gotten started, really. you got to start the conference play strong before they finish it strong. And Indy's going to be legit. They're going to be a legit contender this year coming out of that region. Now, Pitt State, who everyone's been very high on, deservedly so, number three team in the country, they have been a second-half team, uh, not for the right reasons this year. It happened again against Nebraska Kearney. The Lopers were up 7-3 to three at halftime. And you're like, wait a minute. Again? We saw what happened against Fort Hayes State. We saw what happened against Central Missouri, right? Like, these are games where Pittsburgh State continually, offensively at least, comes out slow. They pick it up. They scored 21 in the fourth quarter, end up winning 33-14. The Gorillas got it going. But, man, guys, can we just put together a wire-to-wire win for once? Um, It's not like they were doing anything terribly on offense. Two interceptions from Chad Dotson did not help. Still end up having a decent day, 19 for 26, 179 in the TUD. But, you know... Really spread out as far as the receiving core goes for the Gorillas. That was big time. Good to see. And defensively, they didn't have anyone, I don't think, seriously stand out. But the team effort certainly did. Three takeaways for that Pittsburgh State secondary. I think that is what ended up not only keeping them in the game, but enabling them to get out and get ahead was really big. You have three takeaways like that through the year. Um, that's also going to offset the maybe any turnovers you have offensively. So big time win for Pittsburgh State. They retain their spot in the rankings although we're still going to call them a second-half team for now. Sorry, Trace and company. But um, Colorado Mines at CSU Pueblo. Mines, number two in the country. And at the beginning of the year, after the way we saw Pueblo play GV, I had thought, holy shit, like this is the RMAC championship. I was wrong. Um, we think that's going to be Western Colorado when they play Mines. Western Colorado looks really solid right now. But Mines got it going. 55-14 over the Thunderwolves. And they did it. Very, very convincingly. The first three scores came from the ore diggers. And they did a lot of it through the air. Matoka, 26 for 34. Surgical. He did have an interception, but finished with 326 and three tuds. That is very impressive. They've got a... We've talked about their tandem backs quite a bit between Landon Walker and Noah Roper, who, uh, between the two of them, had 24 carries for a little over 150 yards between both of those guys. A touchdown each, like, pretty good day. Pretty good day for the boys. Offense was humming. They had two receivers over 100 yards. Mines did. Their defense stepped up when they needed to. Had an interception. Had some other big plays. Um, and that's what you want. That's absolutely what you want. A um, couple forced fumbles from them as well. Mines looks really solid. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, Mines is Mines. And right now, talking strictly Division Two schedule right now, like from week one to week four, Colorado Mines has the best schedule in the country. The quality wins that they've had as a football squad right now stacks up and is better than anybody else. They open with that win against Grand Valley. They go at number four, Angelo State. Grand Valley was number three. They go at number four, Angelo State, win. 
take Adam State, I mean, dominate, and then at CSU Pueblo, win in that fashion, second week in the conference play, they look really solid. So now you've got Chadron State coming up, then you go Mesa, Mines, Black Hills State, and finally, Western Colorado, man. That, like I said, shaping up, if everything kind of falls the way we assume it falls, Western Colorado, Colorado Mines, that would be week what? Week nine. That sounds like it's going to be the RMAC championship right there. Mountaineers or diggers. We'll see. Joining the show tonight, this man's an all-conference offensive lineman, part of the biggest upset in D3 football last week from Endicott College. It's Brendan Gill. What's up, dude? How's it going, brother? Nice to see you. Nice to see you, man. Pumped to get you on here. That hoodie is clean. Thank you. Thank I you. love it. What's even yeah. cleaner, the win Saturday for you boys. That was awesome. And I was telling you before I hit record – um, you know, shame on me, but probably the first time I had heard of Endicott, I just admittedly wasn't as plugged into that region uh, when it comes to D3 football, um, was when you guys went out of your way to schedule this Harden-Simmons game. I, we can start there, dude. When you heard that news and, you, you know, a team that's going to be, maybe you didn't know at the time they'd be number five in the country, but a team that you knew was going to be really solid had to be an exciting prospect for you guys, man. Oh, 100%. It was such a cool opportunity when we heard about it. I mean, right away, the team was fired up for it. Again, it's not always you have to play a top five team that's consistent. Yeah. You go out and win, man, that was something else. That's crazy. And I well, added I you're oh, a sorry. criminal justice major, right? Yep. Yep. Interning yep. with the DEA? I did, yeah. I just finished that up. What a gig, dude. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was a really cool opportunity. I got to see a lot. I definitely want to do that. That is sick, dude. I mean, that's an opportunity like – we got a lot of criminal justice guys up here too. Like people will kill for that, man. That's pretty cool. How'd you end up getting that? So I was lucky enough. My dad's friend from high school was in and around the DEA. He was there for okay. a while and he hooked it up and he got me an internship. So that was something really cool to do. That's badass. That's really sick. Not to get off the, off the ball. Talk oh, I, but I saw I that. It. I peeped that and I'm like, man, that's just not something you would see every day. Like for you to get oh, that totally. experience. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was a really cool opportunity. That's cool. Good for you, dude. But let's uh, we can talk a little more about Saturday. First win over a nationally ranked program in your program's history. Like that alone was enough reason, I'm assuming, for you boys to to celebrate and you know deservingly so. You guys had to be locked in for that one, just dialed. Yeah, I mean the way we try to look at it going into the week, it's just another football game. That's the best way you can do it. You don't need to put over pressure on it. Sure. Our coach helped us to lock in. I mean, again, we didn't treat it like any other week. It was. We're playing a football game at the end of the week. We're going to yeah. go in. We're going to prepare how we always do. Practice is going to be the same. Coaches put us in a great spot to win. We went out, and my teammates and I, we all went out and just played our balls off. That was the best thing we could have done. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you did. That was awesome. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I didn't really get to tune into the game, um, but just like – looking over and seeing, you know, highlights. And more importantly, the scene in the locker room after the game was incredible to be a part of that. And, um, you know, you guys first went over a nationally ranked program. You were this close just a couple weeks ago when you had Ithaca on the ropes. Yes. And that was a, obviously a great game. That one, I had to imagine, really fed into the hunger. Like you said, right? You can give me the answer again. Every every game we treat it. Uh, to hell with that. I'm assuming that game fed into the hunger of this one more. Like you just want to, you wanted even more on that national oh, stage. 100%. Once you, once you lose in a regular season game, you, you don't want to do it again. It's not a feeling you're comfortable with. You're not happy with it. And every day after that, it makes you hungrier to go out and chase it again. Yeah. And the boys feeling that. And it's just, it's an awesome 
ultimately able to do it for the school. I mean, even just the school, Endicott, the conference, the CCC, it's good to put it on the map. And we're happy that we were able to do that for the conference. I love it, dude. I love it. Um, it's almost like did you watch that. You watch that Kelsey documentary. Yeah, I did. It was dude, awesome. When they yeah. talk about losing the Super Bowl and, um, you know, it doesn't make you, it makes you just want it again. And yeah, yeah you guys didn't just, lose in the Super Bowl, but it's that same feeling. You know what I mean? Like nothing makes you want it more than just falling that short. Of, of being there. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. But talk about that scene with Coach in the locker room afterwards. Those are the moments you play for, dude. Man, it's a, it's a feeling you'll never get without actually being in it. It's just having the president in there and seeing how happy one really was. president got the game ball. And again, like, like I said, it's just awesome to be able to do it for the school because everybody works so hard and fans come out. And being able to give back like that is awesome, man. It was really cool. That's super special. That is super special. Um, and I saw, was it sister and uncle had also uh, been at Endicott? Yeah, so my sister was on the LAX team here, Yo. and my uncle was also on the lacrosse team here way back when. Big time. That had a big factor, I'm assuming, in when it came down to, uh, you know, looking at potential schools. Yeah, 100%. I grew up coming to my sister's games. I saw the Sweet. football program here. Heard about how awesome it is, and I want to get a part of this culture and dive right in. Big time. Big time. Now, going back to remembering when you guys scheduled that game, right? For me, it's two things. When a team goes out of their way to schedule really high-level competition, we've talked a lot about it on this show. Um, you talk about teams like uh, Colorado Mines, I think, is a great example. They go and play uh, a Grand Valley State team that's a top-five team. Then they play Angelo State that's a top-five team. And there's a couple reasons why teams do this. And the one is that you know you can fucking compete in these games. Like, you're not scheduling these games if you know you're going to get blown out of the water. So that's the first thing. The second mm -hmm. thing is... You want these playoff points because, you know, depending on the situation for you guys, maybe it's your strength of conference play, you know, might not stack up to uh, if it's you or, or a WEAC team that's got to get into the playoffs. Maybe the strength of schedule comes into play. You get a win like this in a non-conference game. All of a sudden, those playoff hopes, uh, even with a loss earlier in the year, are that much more attainable. I feel like I'm kind of I'm on the right track there a little bit. It's not 100 percent. So if you win your conference, you can get a bid. But yep. we've been fortunate enough to have that. Every year I've been here so far, we've been able to get a bid, but we're really trying to just take this program to a national level and really show that we can compete with these guys and these teams. Just some boys from Beverly, but we're hanging in there. And we're some doing boys our from Beverly. That's good. I yeah. might need to go on a t-shirt, bro. Yeah. I like that. To... Boys from Beverly's got a good, it's got a good uh, ring to it, man. That's sweet. Um, but one more out of conference game for you guys at Hobart yep. before you guys start the CCC play. Talk about, um, you know, like you said, approaching it, even after a super emotional win like that and experiencing the highest of highs, how do you bring everyone back down to this this even level and continue to, you know, keep that consistency up in the level of play? 100%. That was the first thing we talked about even today. It was our off day, and we had guys getting together, watching film on Hilbert. It's on to the next week. That We're not even in conference yet. So as awesome as this win was and how many doors it's going to open up, it's an awesome thing to get, but we're on to the next week. We're not thinking we celebrated, we had fun, did our dancing in the locker room, but it's time <laughs> we got another game coming up. That post-game hangover, whether the uh, metaphorical or literal one, that can uh, that can linger, man. But I think you guys will, you guys will be on the right track. I'm excited to see uh, you know where it pans out. You know these next couple weeks, and you know obviously all of your postseason aspirations and things still right ahead of you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sweet, Brendan. That's all I got for you, man. I appreciate you coming on, dude. It was a, it was a quick one, but that was that was awesome. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Go girls. Have a good one. See ya. We can move on. William Jewell at number 18, Davenport. Davenport had the offensive and defensive players of the week this week in the GLIAC. 
Let me tell you why. One of them, Myron Harris, 12 carries, 129 yards, and a tud. He broke one off for 75. That was big time. Um, had a couple receivers that were tearing it up. But then on the defensive side of things, you look at some of the guys that made plays here. Jamonte Peck was the man who got that award. Five tackles, but three of them were tackles for loss. Two of them were sacks, had four uh, QB hurries, and was just all over the field making plays. That Davenport linebacker core has been really impressive to watch. Their offense, the way they respond and bounce back, especially when uh, maybe they have a series or two that doesn't go their way, I think Davenport, it might be safe to say, has actually improved um, since last year. And it's coming from me, coming from someone who I looked at Davenport last year. I saw him play multiple times in person. And... Talented, obviously, physically talented, had all the tools, but their margin of victory was very small, and it felt like a lot of these 50-50 games, they were coming out on top. So I was admittedly a doubter um, because you saw how they performed against Grand Valley and Ferris. They weren't ready for that next level. It'll be very interesting to see how they stack up this year and what kind of strides the Panthers have made because now you're seeing the margin of victory against a team like William Jewell that they should go out and put up 55 points like they did. Last year, this might come down to a one or two score game for Davenport. If I'm, that's just how what I'm thinking. This year, it feels like they're taking care of business. They've got a good spread in the backfield. Obviously, the addition of Myron Harris helps, but they have some other backs that are super competent, super solid backs. And defensively, it feels like everything is just clicking for them. They get back some really talented receivers. Um, I'm not saying Davenport's going to go and uh, you know upset the Ferris's and the GVs of the world right now. I'm just saying when they go play these teams. You're going to want to watch. I think it's going to be a good matchup. And looking at their schedule, they open conference play with a great test. Michigan Tech at Houghton. That, to me, will be a prove-it game for Davenport. It's a team that they've struggled with. And Michigan Tech, right now, undefeated. They're feeling pretty high on themselves right now. Very small margin of victory for Michigan Tech, but nonetheless, they have yet to lose on their home field. That's a hard trip. One of the trainers from Davenport, one of the athletic trainers, actually called it the trip from hell, making it up to the UP. So we'll see how they handle that. That trip to Michigan Tech is going to tell me a lot about this Davenport squad. We can move forward. we got a top 25 matchup. Number 11, Harding. At number 20, Henderson State. Harding takes care of business. That one, 27-16 over the Reddies. And, by the way, funny-ass mascot name. Henderson State Reddies. And it's R-E-D-D-I-E-S. It's weird. But Harding gets propelled. Um, Wayne Cavati had him in his top 10, tied for the 10 spot with Emporia State. They deserve it, man. The style and the brand of football that they're playing right now is a really solid one. Henderson State was up 9-0 in the second quarter. <clears throat> All of a sudden, 13-9. Harding's right back in this thing. They go on to end up winning it. And, you know, in that conference, I definitely, I shouldn't say definitely, I'm looking for them to, to hopefully if it's, you know, the, the kind of team that's going to prove it, I think they're going to run the table in that GAC. We'll see, though. And, you know, you might ask me, like, what makes that Harding offense special? Well, it's the fact that they don't fucking throw the ball. <laughs> that's one of the most physical teams in all of Division II college football. Uh, Cole Keohan had one completion on four attempts for 10 yards for Harding. Oh, man. They did have uh, about 300, over a little over 350 yards on the ground because that's where they get all their work done. Uh, Blake De La Cruz, 31 carries for 179 yards. He busted one out for 53. He had three tuds on the day. The thing is, though, if you know it's coming, you can't stop it. That's a measure of a great team. It's like watching a Navy game. You know what I mean? So Henderson State. 
could not keep up defensively. Harding gets the dub there. We'll be interesting to see what they go moving forward. I'm going to take a peek at their schedule here and uh, look ahead. And yeah, these some of these GAC teams, um, again, no shot at them. I don't see them having any problems with them. And they have Washita at home in three weeks. Two more weeks, excuse me. That's your game right there. Washita at Harding in two weeks. That's going to be the side of the conference because Southwestern and Northwestern Oklahoma these next two weeks, I don't see them putting up a fight. But Washita Harding definitely marked that one if you guys are, are fans of some solid football. Fairmont State at Notre Dame College. This one I actually got to watch. Shout out to uh, it's MEC, right? MEC Network. Free. Get me in there. Watch a little bit of ball. And this is one that I watched the first half. Fair, I go into halftime. Fairmont up 17 0. I'm like, okay, like. You know, that one might be over. I put it to the side. I start watching some other games. I don't know. I look back, and it was 17-14. And I'm like, what? How did this happen? Now it's at Notre Dame, obviously. So they fought, found their way to, to fight back into this one. But Notre Dame definitely made it interesting. Deshaun Evans, 20 for 47, 312, and two tuds. The number, though, key number for you, three interceptions. Excuse me. I don't know why I got the... Burps all of a sudden. Three interceptions for him. So that Fairmont State was causing problems for sure. Uh, LTA Bushra was on the receiving end of two of those interceptions for Fairmont. Really spread out defensive effort for them. And just kind of a slower game. Like, I feel like the teams uh, struggled in the red zone a little bit. But credit to Fairmont. Shut down Notre Dame on the ground. 38 yards rushing on the day. That is a really solid achievement and looking at some of these other stats they dominated time possession that's that's a stat if you've noticed i look at every time time of possession fairmont state you dominate the line of scrimmage and there you go 40 minutes to 20 they dominate that time possession usually that stat is your key indicator of who's winning the game credit to fairmont they pick up a huge win this next week probably going to be a bit of a blow off for them they play post university that might be one of the worst teams in division two no shot but shot respectively oh boy um we'll move on to some gmac play though ashland at tiffin this is one that you know before the year potentially circled this is like this could be a gmac championship type of game tiffin thought so they played like a 55 to 30 over the eagles who are the reigning conference champions and tiffin just did it in all you know, all aspects of the game. Ashland did have a, a better rushing attack, I believe, than compared to maybe the last couple of weeks. But you're not going to win a game. You let up 534 yards of total offense. That's tough. 254 of those on the ground for Ashland. Really tough. Uh, you know, uh, for Tiffin, excuse me. Tiffin actually didn't have the better time of possession. Like I said, Ashland um, did it a lot better job on the ground. Larry Martin, eight carries for 120 and then Giovanni Washington coming in there as well for some quality carries. And, you know, for me, this this Tiffin team, who I think in the last couple of years maybe has been known more for their defense. Their defense has been really stout. No, you know, offense to their offense. Offense has been surgical. Martin Kaysen, 22 for 29, 280 and four tuds. Hello. That's good. Ronald Blackman had 144 on the ground. This team's balanced. Had a 100-yard receiver in Josh Lewis. They look really poised to run the table in the GMAC. Um, and looking ahead at the schedule here for the Dragons. They're at Thomas Moore. Then they come back home for Hillsdale at Lake Erie, Kentucky Wesleyan, Walsh. And then the last two are at Ohio Dominican and at Finley. 
looking at this schedule, man, I mean, Thomas Moore is no blowover, but most of these teams, again, not exactly blowover squads, but, you know, Tiffin is in a really prime place to make something happen. That win at Northwood now seems really big after the performance that Northwood just had. Um, you never know what Hillsdale's going to do. They definitely surprised Ashland last year. They certainly could usurp uh, Tiffin this year. Kentucky Wesleyan just pulled out a quality win over ODU. You know, Finley, to close out the year at Finley, will be a tough contest for the Dragons, but... You know, there's not a game on this schedule that doesn't look extremely winnable right now for Tiffin. So they'd be my pick right now to come out of that conference. I think it's an easy pick as well. Finally, though, West Georgia at number eight, West Florida. The Battle of the Wests goes to the Argonauts in Pensacola, 49-21. They look dominant. And what a bounce-back game, too, for a squad that we just talked to Pee Wee last week or, you know, earlier after their Florida A&M loss. They lost 31-10 to against a quality FCS team in Florida A&M. They come back, apparently, with a vengeance against West Florida or West Georgia. Jesus, confusing as hell. Peewee had a hell of a stat line, 20 for 27 with 298 and three tuds. Kept Take care of the ball. Their uh, rushing attack, extremely balanced as well. That defense for them, getting after it. John Giles, though, the story of this game, eight catches for 175 yards and two tuds. He was automatic. He made some circus catches out there. Looked really good. But for West Florida, a lot of guys making an impact kind of across the board. We had uh, Ralph Ortiz and uh, Braven Anderson both with interceptions. A lot of guys making some plays in the backfield. Always want to look for that. John McMullen, one of those guys with a sack on the day. Had a couple of them. West Florida did. Just kept West Georgia at bay throughout kind of the entirety of this one. It was, I mean, it wasn't even a game at halftime. It was 35-7 to at half. And then they just continued to add on. West Georgia added a couple pity points in the fourth quarter. This game was not even as close as it says. West Florida is still that team, very much so. Let's touch on these players of the week, though, real quick. For Division Two. Patrick Shegog had a fucking week, man. 15 for 19 through the air, 218 yards and five tuds. That's not it. 10 carries in the ground for 138 and another two into the end zone. That's tough to beat, man. That is really tough to beat. There are some other great guys in that category, but when you have this type of production, you cannot beat that Delta State looking really good against Shorter. They dominated that one. Talk defensively, though. Already talked about Justin Thomas. This dude had a week against Saginaw Valley. You see those stats right there on the screen. Man, really quality performance once again. And finally, this guy, Coleman Chapman, man. Four for four on field goals. He had a game winner from 50 yards for Black Hill State. That one, super Super impressive. Um, shout out to Coleman. Shout out to our players of the week this week. And uh, definitely keep letting us know who you think deserves these honors. But let's get right to that other guest conversation. Join the show tonight. One of our sponsored athletes, part of the Kutztown team that just upset the reigning regional champ and shepherd, Jordan Davis. What's up, man? What's up? How y'all doing? Good. I made the mistake of calling him the reigning conference champ um, yeah. on Twitter. People are not having it. Mm. PSAC East champ. My bad. I'll own it. Doesn't matter. You guys, like I was just telling you, dude, played a hell of a game on Saturday. That had to be fun, man. Yeah, for sure. It definitely was. Definitely was a crazy, crazy opportunity out there. It was crazy. I do, and obviously not the same Shepherd offense as we've seen the last couple years. But that shouldn't really take anything away from the win that you guys have. You know what I mean? Like being able to hold them to three points. I know you're not out there playing defense. You're not making tackles. We don't have another Travis Hunter situation on our hands, but still like talk about what that unit was able to do. I think it was the lowest amount of points that team's been held to since like 1994, I believe was the date. 
Um, the defense went out there and just balled. They just played, played, played free out there. You know, we had a sick taste in our mouth from taking a loss from them last year and then losing on Hail Mary two years ago. Um, the defense just went out there and balled. It was crazy. You know, defense flying around. Shout out to our secondary. And everyone on defense was flying around having fun. Korean yeah, that's like a whole that's a whole unit making plays, dude. They were two for ten on third down, oh for one on fourth. It had to have just felt like as the game went on, you get to more of those like big game key moment type scenarios, and like every time they just answered the call. Yeah, they answered it. And they were flying to the ball, man. Shout out to everyone on that defense. It was it was so surreal. You know, Shepard is a great team. You know, they like they have a great history, but our defense has showed up. Yeah. That's gotta be fun too. Like I've been there, like as a you know, you're on the offense. You do what you can. Some games, like for you guys even, you didn't score a touchdown in the first half. Like it took yeah. you a while to get that going, even though you're just maintaining possession of the rock. But yeah. had to be fun at points for you just on the sideline. I don't want to say be a spectator, but just like watching them make plays, man, and just being able to cheer on your guys, like that's got to be a fun moment, especially, you know, as an offense when you guys are still trying to figure some stuff out. Yeah, sure. It was, it was definitely, definitely was a fan of our defense. You know, we, <laughs> that's tough. We didn't put it together offensively the first half, but we got it right in the second half. And defense had our back, and that's yep. just the mentality you got. Complimentary football, dude. And, yeah. uh, you know, you guys, I think you made it. I don't want to say you made it easy for them, but you definitely helped them out. You look at the time possession, 41 yeah. minutes to 19 minutes, dude. Like, there's not a defense in the world that will not take that. You know what I mean? You don't want a defense that has to sit out there. Oh, can you see that, bro? What happened? I got a spider that just came right in front of my. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Hey, I'm, I'm like no corner of my eye. This thing is just coming straight down. Would have almost landed on the microphone. I'm sorry, but where, where was I, bro? Time of possession, right? There's not a defense in the country that will not take 19 minutes on the field. You guys are able to keep them fresh, to keep their legs going like as an offense just driving the ball down their throat. Like, that's a dream, dude. That's what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Definitely went out there with the mentality, played physical, rained out there. And, yeah. Uh, shout out to our wide receivers and our offensive line, just being physical out there, and we just made it happen. I'm going to say, because that's obviously not all running backs, but, um, you know, rainy day, some might say shitty weather. I feel like you guys probably built for that kind of weather and looking at the offense that you run and the kind of the play style you guys have. Do you agree with that? Um, uh, not really. I mean, I feel like uh, Judd, no Judd Novak, uh, he stepped in for Donnie. Donnie, you know, obviously uh, went down with an injury first week. Yep. Uh, he's been playing amazing, so we've been pretty well balanced. So. I hear you. That's good. Well, either way, man, I love it. But uh, both teams threw two interceptions, too. I'm sure that had to add a different element to the game. You have all these, like, sudden changes going on, and almost like being ready all over the place. Is that kind of how it felt, just like – back and forth, back and forth, and, you know, everyone just trying to catch a foothold, especially in that first half? Yeah, Coach Clemens actually, uh, he harps on a sudden change. So that's something we practice throughout throughout, uh, the week and stuff. So he had us ready, and we were ready. You know, um, defense capitalized more than we did in the first half, but when it came to sudden changes down in the second half, we were able to capitalize and put some drives together. Yeah, that's big. And your your touchdown drives, it wasn't like, oh, we got the ball on the five-yard line, like they just punch it in. Like, it was 10 plays and then 14 plays, like, yeah. down the field, man. How was that? Um, especially when you talk about your backfield, right, uh, and the balance that you guys have in the backfield. That has to be super important on those drives where, you know, I don't care who is running the ball. You can't give it to them, you know, 10, 14 times in one, one possession, one series. Yeah. So it's got to be nice to have those legs to keep rotating guys in there. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely we complement each other. And you know, our offense is just very dynamic. I'm just gonna say that. We're gonna we're gonna surprise some people. Big time. You got a big chance to this week, man. Uh East Stroudsburg coming into town, undefeated right now, four and It feels like I, I, you know, maybe the wrong usage, but another prove it game for you guys. Now, this last week was that's textbook prove it, right? Against a really quality opponent. But now the challenge is just to to prove that it's not a one off. Yeah. We just focus on being one to know and not worry about anybody else except us. So our goal is it's about us, it's not about who we play. You struggle, there's a great team, but we will go out there and just focus on what we need to do and yeah. just go out there and have fun. I love it, dude. I was talking to Coach McCullough um, from UTPB earlier, and at his last job, they lost their first two games of the year. He's the interim head coach at the time. He's like, you know, you got to be at a point like, oh shit, like I don't, you know, I don't know where this is going. And then they go on and win nine of their next ten. So again, for you guys, it's like, like you don't look down to the end of the season. It's one game at a time. You can give me all the, you know, the coach speak that you want. It's the right answer. But for me, looking at you guys and all of the goals and the aspirations that you have. Even with two losses, everything is still ahead of you. In the conference yeah. that you're in, some of the matchups that you have down the year against a great team like an East Stroudsburg. I know like a Slippery Rock like down the road and other great squads between the two of them. But it has to feel like you know all the goals and things that you talk about in the preseason are still right in front of you and still attainable. Yeah, for sure. we we just been attacking every game like it's a championship game. You know, we start off slow. Uh, we can't afford to lose any more games, so we're just going. The most important game, we say, is always the next one. So... That's really where our mentality is right now. We're not looking too like far ahead. We're just going to keep chopping. I like chopping it. Yeah. I like it. Going to keep surprising people? Yeah, we're going to keep surprising people. I love it. Appreciate you, Jordan. Sure. You took a quick one tonight, man. That's all I really got for you, bro. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, of course. Have a good one, man. I don't know we'll be in touch. All right, you too. Sweet. See ya. Time for some D3 ball. Jim, back with us today. Which, uh, I know we got a lot on the slate today, but uh, what do you want to start with, dude? There's a lot that jumped out with some big upsets. We already talked um, a lot about uh, Endicott, obviously, so we can um, kind of skip that one. So uh, if you are coming here just for that, then definitely go to the conversation with the man himself, with Brendan. But um, what other games stuck out to you this week, dude? Uh, so another huge CCIW matchup I talked about last week was Wheaton and Augustana. Yep. Uh, as advertised. Uh the high-powered offense with Augustana, 34 points. They put the, they put up a pretty large number. Well, two weeks previous, we expected nothing less than this week against a pretty formidable Wheaton defense, putting up oh, yeah. 34 is very impressive. But the Thunder prevailed with a 41-34 victory. Um, weeks for Wheaton, three rushing touchdowns, and Thorson with 400 passing yards. So Jesus. I have a question for the, any Wheaton Thunder Fans, players, anybody—is that Clayton Thorson's little brother? I'm curious. <laughs> That's not a terrible because person. Yeah. I know, I know, Clayton Thorson's from Wheaton because he played against prospects in the playoffs when I was going to the game when I was growing up. So that definitely could be a possibility. Yeah, that his brother is an NFL quarterback, and he threw for 400 yards last week. So that could add up. I think. <laughs> I love it, dude. And Wheaton sits at uh, number 10 right now as far as the D3Ball.com yep. polls go. That was the same spot uh, that they held that last week, I, I do believe, correct? Yeah. I Okay, so I'm not sure if the rankings updated yet. Because I was looking today. Did they update yet? Because I was looking at like 11 o'clock this morning. You and, look right now. Yeah, and all the records were the same, too. So I don't even know if they've updated them. No, it does look like they updated because Bethel, who was number 19, is now dropped out of the rankings. There's a couple other squads that, yeah, they have okay. Carnegie Mellon's loss on here. Yeah, these are definitely updated. Okay, okay. What time did they update? Does it say on there? So I'm curious. Uh, so what time, what I today? do not know. It just says games through September 24th. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. But yeah, keep it going, dude. What else we got? Uh, we got so St. John's Buckle was the UNR game of the week last week, and uh, yeah, I mean St. John's solidly won this game, twenty-seven-seven over Bethel. Um, Cyberson or St. John's, I thought this was an interesting name. Kind of sounds like you know Iverson. Uh, the boy, the boy was hooping out there. Two hundred sixty-six yeah. yards, three touchdowns. Um, slinging the rock around. Uh, obviously, really strong performance from them. Look for St. John's to continue to roll. Uh, they're a good program, and then Bethel, they'll bounce back. I mean, St. John's a tough team. They have an entire – the rest of their Mayak season ahead of them. So, I mean, they're on, they're on the brink of uh, losing their playoff hopes, though. It's already two losses. Um, but they'll be ready to go. They're a good program every year. So Yeah, I mean, they get bounced Hopefully out of the top they're... 25. Uh, St. John's had three guys who were not named Aaron Syverson who had seven, uh, seven or more carries apiece. So their running attack, super flexible, uh, super versatile back there. That was something that stuck out for me. They shut down Bethel's rushing attack for the most part. Uh, Aaron Ellingson, he had 19 carries for 65 yards, and that was something that um, I'm sure they probably identified heading into that one. Um, defensively, though, I feel like the the name of the game, besides uh, Cooper Yagi, by the way, who was at first my pick for our defensive uh, player of the week in Division Three, uh, he had 12 tackles, seven solo interception, and a pass breakup. That was probably one of my first selections. Ended up getting beat. By the man uh, over from Alfred who had a fucking day, Jim. You saw him fill up the stat sheet. He did, yeah. And I saw Alfred posted the uh, – they, they tagged us in his uh, Player of the Week post. So that's that cool, was sweet, it. too. I appreciated yeah. that, whoever Shout runs out. our account. Shout out, Alfred. Shout yeah, out. That's big. Um, we'll talk about some of those Players of the Week after we do some uh, game recaps. But Kupiagi, huge game for them. Otherwise, really balanced defensive effort from St. John's and something that um, I think we've come to expect from them. But I think I texted you and I had said, like, that makes the Whitewater win seem all the more impressive now after watching this showing, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, talk about uh talk about a big I mean, I guess another upset, right? Talk about that Grove City yeah. game. Yeah, Grove City is they're gonna they're gonna make a push to win the president's conference, I believe. They're not four and um uh Pfeiffer with three touchdowns, two hundred and fifty six yards over Carnegie Mellon. And that's a good Carnegie Mellon defense. We talked about them last week. Um you know, putting up 21 points against them, your conference rival. Uh, anytime you can beat who humongous win for any program. It's like, that's a program-defining win right there for Grove City, and um, look for them to continue to have a pretty solid year the rest of the way. I got a stat for you, Jim. You ready? Yeah, hit me with, hit me with it, Kobe. Hit me Carnegie Mellon had won 20 straight regular season games before this contest. Wow. The team that so beat all, them before so their 20-game regular season winning streak started? Grove City. Wow. Wow. Beginning Man. and end. That's off the Grove City. I mean, Dude, that's a crazy stat. Yeah. Like, Carnegie Mellon is, I think, just uh, the standard of just consistency when it comes to, like, very hard-nosed, uh, smart football. Obviously, you need a very large brain to get into that school. Uh, but just talk about their style of play. You talk about their defense. 20 straight regular season games, that is a, a super, super impressive feat. But we've got another – let's go to our other rivalry game. Talk about Loris um, and uh, Dubuque there. And that uh, – the, the, was it the Key City Clash? This uh, Yeah, right? Key City Clash, yep. It's coming into this one. The, uh, the Spartans had won, what was it, 20 in a row? I believe this was the 12th year in a row for the Spartans coming out on top 12, of this one. 12, yeah. 12th year in a row. And uh, did they, did they uh, continue that streak, Kobe? They did. They did. That's what I. That's what I saw as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So you know, Spartans taking this one home. 
That was big. 35-23 in their favor. And this one got started relatively early. Uh, They were in it, I think, for, you know, most of the first half. Offenses were pretty quiet. It was 7-3 at the half. And then... For Dubuque at the third quarter, dude, 21 points, they explode offensively, and they kind of just carried that one away on their home field. Like, that's something that you expect for them to make the trip out there. Um, rivalry game like that, obviously home field makes a huge difference, and that's something that I think we were kind of expecting going into it. I don't know if we were expecting this, though. Both quarterbacks throw for over 300. Yeah, that's hey, pretty crazy. I mean, what was the total score, like 58 or something, 35-23? So, I mean, total I mean, score of all final was 35-23. But about 23, yeah, so total score of 58. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty high scoring affair. I mean, anytime you can throw for 300 yards, you're probably going to score at least 21 points. So, I mean, obviously, both those teams did that. So They were all through the air, basically. Um, Loris only had 61 yards on the ground on 41 attempts. Oof. So, just not getting anything done on the ground. I think they just resorted to throwing it through the air. They had uh, I mean, 53 total point, attempts yeah, passing, dude. They must have had a lot of possession uh, yeah. in this one. And if we do look at it they did actually dominate possession 35 minutes to about 24 in loris's favor and just wasn't enough for him man yeah i mean that like what did we, what did we say last week on the show and what we were talking about i forgot what game we were talking about we were talking about if you, if you, if you win the time possession you run the ball a lot like you're gonna win the game and obviously we saw that in the in this one talked so. about kutztown earlier and their upset over shepherd dude it was like 42 minutes to 18 Hold on, that's crazy. That's that one of the most wild. lopsided stats I've ever seen. That is wild. What was that the score in that one? Really nice. What's that? What was the score in that game with the 42 and 18 time possession? Uh, it was like 23 to 3 or something. Like yeah, not... that's what that, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, there were two interceptions thrown by each side. It was a, kind of a rainy day, a little sloppy weather. And, you yeah. know, but again, rivalry game definitely kept it close. That one did not disappoint. Uh, like I said, the 12th year in the row for the Spartans. They keep their streak alive. Big time for them. But uh, I know you want to talk about that Augsburg, Gustavus Adolphus. Um, yeah, so obviously the Hal Mary at the end of that game. Dude. Wild. Like, <laughs> imagine. Ima- I, guess I, that's, I feel like that's everybody's dream. Other than like winning the national championship or like, I don't know, like being the Heisman or whatever you want to call it. Like the Harlan Hill in our case or, you know, yep. the rest of the other small school trophies. But. Score winning a game on a Hail Mary has to be the most exhilarating feeling ever. I mean, that's like hitting a walk off home run or in a baseball game or something. Like, come on, you can't yeah. beat that. Yeah, you can't that's beat that, feeling. dude. Yeah, yeah. Dude. and uh, what's kind of a bummer, obviously, for Gus Davis is they lost a game, ju- they lost a game just like that last year, actually, to stop. Actually, um, that was I wasn't on the team yet that year, but um, yeah, they lost on a, a play just like that, leaving. Bomb with like I don't know, like twenty seconds left. So not quite the same, but similar. Where it's just huge pass out of the game. So it probably David. felt almost exactly the same yeah, for them. Just and uh, KGN for Augsburg was our player of the week on the D three yeah. side offensively. Twenty for twenty five, extremely efficient. Took care of the ball, no interceptions. He had two hundred seventy four yards and five tuds. Um, there was a dude over at Alma that they were people were calling for um, their quarterback, who also had a great game in all respects, man. Mm-hmm. But when you win a game in that fashion, dude, I don't care. You have to whatever you call it. That's that's an automatic bid. That's what we're going to call an yeah. automatic bid. Yes, I love yeah. it. Extra, uh, extra clutch points for sure. 
Yes, and not only that, you know, he's throwing the ball. He's spreading the love a lot. He's got seven different receivers catching the ball, just totally distributed it all over the place, and that's, again, a really good sign of a solid quarterback. On the Gustavus side, Jake Breitbach, that's the one that you had talked about before? Yep, yep, yep. 15 catches, 180 yards. 15 catches on itself is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think I saw a stat today he's, that uh, he's Keenan always, Allen is like he's the, open every time. He Keenan Allen, I think, is the only player in NFL history to have like, well, I don't know, something through th- three or more games in a row with 15 catches or something crazy stat. But like the 15 catches number in a game is a crazy wow. number. It's not like getting 15 carries where you turn the ball and hand it off, right? It's getting open 15 times, delivering a good ball, making a good catch, whether it's one yard or 20. Hand 180 of them. So, but then you have uh, yeah, Matthew Carrion, who had five five catches for 100 and a tud, and then two from uh, Caden, their number three. So they certainly had a game as well. I don't want to diminish that, but it all just comes down to that last play, dude, which is heartbreaking for one side and just triumphant Oof. for the other. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, like everyone's thinking, oh, oh my god, like what a crazy play, what a crazy play, like good for them. But then it's like, oh, Gustavus. Oh, like that <laughs> feeling that my have. Just so horrible. Like, oh, my God. I hear you, dude. And I wanted to look at um the schedules of these guys a little bit as well. Um, Augsburg, I do believe, I'm blanking, but I know they've got a big uh, – they've got a big-time matchup this coming week. Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. And, uh, yes, so they are home against St. John's this week. Augsburg is. So a team that we just talked about coming into Augsburg. We'll see if we're, they might need a little more of that, uh, that Sheehan magic to pull off this one, dude. Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like it to me. Yeah, and then, I mean, uh, Gustavus, definitely not off the hook themselves. And I can't – dude, why do some people have, like, websites that are just entirely different from everyone else? Yeah, that's there frustrating. No, I'm just you get in such a groove looking at all these athletics websites, and then someone switches yeah. it up on you. Um, but Gustavus, right now, for a team in their position, sitting at one and two right now, they have Bethel, who just got dropped out of the top twenty-five. So, um, really good matchups for both these guys next week, and you know, obviously, both going to be hungry to either continue or, or or bounce back. And that was the opening of league play for them in the MIAC, man. Yep, yeah, and this will be a huge one next week too. So they'll yeah. be ready to come out firing for sure. Absolutely. What else did you um, have for us, D3-wise? Any other games you want to talk so about? So, I had the uh, – our last game of the week from last week was uh, Mountain Union and Muskingum. And, um, spoiler alert, Mountain Union was not on upset watch. Uh, no. So, the College Football Network had something to say to us. And, uh, I think, deep down, I, I would have picked Mountain Union the whole time. I just yeah. – I normally don't make my game picks on air. Like, I truth, truthfully, I kind of just, like, rolling with, like, a summary. But, um, yeah, I Mountain Union is – they're – hands down like one of the best teams in the country um four players from Mount Union ran for 50 or more yards so if you want to do some math there Kobe that's it's a lot of rushing yards for the Purple Raiders this weekend Uh, 74 points just kind of a killer from a skin gun with four turnovers and three sacks just you're not gonna win a lot of games when you do that um you know, obviously defensively they kind of struggled as well, but uh, I mean, you know, Mount Union's a great team, and Muskingum can still have a great year. So uh, definitely yeah. don't turn your turn your head too quick on Muskingum. But uh, OAC yeah. teams this- turned up, dude. They showed out. Uh, yeah. We had number seventeen, yeah, John Carroll, and Heidelberg. Another game where we saw, you know, maybe not Heidelberg necessarily going to go in there and upset, but uh, excuse me, at Heidelberg, but thought maybe be a little competitive, 
right? Especially conference play. Heidelberg's had a pretty solid squad. That defense has been pretty stingy. A lot of turnovers have been forced. John Carroll goes in there 34-7 to and just rolls. And so now you're looking at they just trounced Baldwin-Wallace. They go in and totally destroy Heidelberg. Now you're eyeing that matchup. John Carroll-Mount Union, that's that's for the OAC. OAC. Yeah, the OAC is deep, and it's going to be pretty very competitive all year. So, it seems like one and two. And then other notes here, just for me, going over some of these scores. Uh, Trinity, Texas, number six. They at home against Rhodes, 63-14. to 14, They come out. It's a sign of a good team. They do what they're supposed to in the first half. One of their wide receivers had ridiculous numbers, over 150 yards on, like, just a couple catches in the first half before he was yanked. If they left him in there, he might have put up some generational-type stats. But um, yeah. those guys, uh, the horns down there, they're taking care of business. Otherwise, Alma, look, we talked about their quarterback situation, their offense earlier, 48-28 over Wittenberg at Wittenberg. Big time for them. They're looking to continue to get up the rankings there and take control of that MIAA. Mary Harden-Baylor back on the right side of the winning column yeah. in a big way, 50-9 over McMurray. I, I now, saw that one today. I saw that one. Tough for them is, you know, especially, I mean, obviously if you drop, really right now they got to be eyeing that Harden-Simmons game because right now if, yeah, if they, they went out and Harden-Simmons – they're getting, they're in. If they win out and beat Harden Simmons, they're probably still in. Yeah, because you win the conference. If they win the conference, they, I think all all three of their losses were non-conference. So if they just win the conference, they're in. Yeah. So, which is crazy to think about. And people were you know, yeah. there's a lot of overreactions about Harden Simmons' first time being 0 three in their history. So, or not? Excuse me, Harden Simmons. Harden. Yeah, Harden yeah, yeah, you got yeah. me. You got me. Um, Delaware Valley also bounced back in a big way. They pitch a shutout. Um, Kings came into town 28 nothing for them. Utica looked solid in their game. And, you know, kind of just going through a couple more of these. Nothing too crazy bounced out at me. Uh, another MIAA WEAC matchup here. Albion takes the dub over Stevens Point, 30-7. to Looked pretty convincing. Albion, a lot of question marks around them. You lose your head coach. You lose some big-time uh, pieces in the transfer portal over to Northwood. They follow Bureau over there. And now, obviously, you're competing with Alma, who beat you last year for the conference championship. And a really quality opponent. So that's a big – I think it's a big win for them, a – Great confidence boost for the uh, for the Brits over there. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can beat a WIAC team, I mean, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. So yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, nothing else crazy jumped out to me. We can talk our uh, D three players of the week though, real quick. While I, while I still got you on here, let me. There we are. Let me pull that up. Um, had some again, made some tough decisions this week. There were some there were some really hard ones to go through and. The first of which we talked about him already, KGN from Augsburg. 2025, 274, five tuds, also on the ground, 11 carries, 69 yards. The game winning Hail Mary. I mean, there's there's no other choice, dude, for this week. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, beating the quarterback who throws the Hail Mary has to be one of the most exhilarating feelings in all sports. Uh, hitting a walk off home run, you know, all those things, hitting the buzzer beater in a basketball game, like anything like that, like a penalty kick in soccer. I mean, come on. Like, how? Man, I, we got we to gotta get this guy on the show. That's what yeah. we got to do. I'll reach out. Yeah. We'll make it We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Um, defensively, though, a guy who just stuffed the stat book. We've seen a lot of these last couple weeks. Joe Kopp mm-hmm. from Alfred. We talked about him already before, but here's the yep. stat line for you. 19 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. The two of those were sacks. He had a fumble recovery and a pass breakup. I believe he also had a couple QB hurries in there, too. I just didn't feel like including them because I ran out of room on the graphic. Mm-hmm. The dude just – 19 tackles in a game is ridiculous. And if you saw um, our NAIA players of the week on our socials, Jimmy, did you see Valley City State, the duo on their defense? Yeah, I did see that. 19 That's and 20 wild. tackles respectively. 
That's wild. I've never – we wild. gave – that's probably the first and only time we'll give a two-player award to teammates. It's like Erlacher and Briggs, dude. Dude. It's ridiculous. That was incredible. Give a shout-out to Joe Cobb. That was a, a really incredible yeah. performance. And then on the special yeah. team side of things, Isaiah Wright from uh, Bridgewater State, three returns, 114 yards, and a tud. He has been making some noise. He's, I believe, already won one or two Conference Player of the Week awards uh, so far this year. So, um, yep. you know, nothing too crazy. They definitely had to make some hard decisions uh, when it comes to these picks. But at the end of the day, I felt I felt great about them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do too. Um, you know, obviously, man, like that Hail Mary, though. Like that's probably like. Oh, another thing. <laughs> you, know what I was, you know what I was thinking? Actually, I don't know. If we're on the air, but what if we just had? Like the players of the week. I mean, I know there'd be a lot of it'd be a lot of guests, but what if we just had the players of the week? Yeah, I thought about that. You know. Um, yeah. You're right, though. It's like we have. I was kind of. I know. I know that's kind of because I know you have like your little system. You have to bring guests on and everything. Like keep doing whatever, whatever. But like, I don't know. I think that'd be kind of cool. Like, I definitely would like to start incorporating more of them. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. It is nine dudes, and or in this case, ten. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Of, that's a, that's a lot of guys. That's so I don't want to make any guarantees. I, I, I kind of thought that, like as I was saying it, I'm like, oh wait, but there's so many other. <laughs> it's not just D three. I kind of like, yeah. Yeah. No, if it was, and that's the thing too. <laughs> that I think people have to remember is like, you know, I wish I could do more than just like look at box scores and read recaps on these games and things like that. But I yeah. have two sets of eyes. You know, I'm still a full time student. I still have a job mm. that I work full time. Like, you know, there's things yeah. that go on and like. <laughs> D2, D3, yeah. NAI football, like, there is yeah. such a large volume of this going on that this is the uh, best that we can do right now. So, yeah. you know, you obviously help out and helping to, to bring some more stuff. And actually, I'm going to oh, – here's, like, the announcement. I guess I'm going to put out a feeler on the socials for an NAIA kind of insider for us to help bring us Ooh. some new information from the NAIA side of things. I feel like that gets neglected on our show dude, a little yeah. bit. We should definitely get someone. That'd be sweet, dude. Yeah, I mean, so if you have any connects, like, I'm going like... to put that post out probably tomorrow, and we'll see if we get any, you know – I'll think about the show. Yeah. It'd be kind of sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll try to, I'll kind of like look around too. Cause I know there's a, yeah, who, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. Actually. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to just speak it into existence. So I remember to do it too. Cause I wanted to put a post out. Um, we talk a lot of D2, uh, a lot of D3. We just don't talk a lot of NAIA ball. And I think we can definitely, we can shore that up a little bit. So. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, as being, being division one rejects, we should cover more than just division two, division three. Yeah. There's, now we know. I know we're doing the player of the week, but I mean, I feel like we should chill a little more. We can do more. That. Yeah, we can do more. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, sweet. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you, dude. Yeah. Of course. Anytime. Have a good one.